0: You are listening to the Passion City Church podcast. To learn more about Passion City Church, including our gathering times in Atlanta and Washington, D.C., visit us online at passioncitychurch.com. Today's talk comes from Pastor Louis Giglio. Well, in 1609, you may know this already, a Dutch-German invented the telescope. His name was Hans Lippershey. And Hans Lippershey didn't exactly call it a telescope in 1609. In fact, he was a lens crafter. And when he invented the original telescope, this is what he said about it. He called it a Dutch perspective glass, which he used for, quote, seeing things far away as if they were nearby. And so, 1609, same time period, Middleburg, Germany, if you want all the information, the microscope was invented as well. We're not sure exactly whether that was Hans Lippershey or a father-son combination named Hans and Zacharias, but either way, Hans was involved in the microscope and in the telescope and the microscope i think is what we often use when we come to study god we look down and we think we're going to discover who he is and maybe even decide who he is and come to our own conclusions about who god is and what he's like but we're not using a microscope today to investigate god we're rather using a telescope powered by the spirit of god looking through the word of God and looking into the person of Jesus to take this God, this creator of the universe, this God who's bigger than our wildest dreams and to bring him close. Galileo took Lippers Hayes' telescope of 1609 and in 1610, Galileo improved it, discovered the four largest moons of the planet Jupiter, bringing things far away, near so that they can be known and understood and that's how we're pursuing god we're looking at his attributes discovering what he's revealed as true about himself and as we look into his attributes we then are bringing this far away eternal almighty god we're bringing him close so that we can know and understand who he is and We haven't really given an application point really for how to do that, but in in every one of these messages, it's been the same. We've looked at some of the attributes of God. So I wanna encourage you, if you're loving where we're going, do what I was doing in the 1980s. I was taking month-long journeys into the attributes of God. In fact, I went back and grabbed a, a journal that I began writing in in 1984. And when you open this guy up, just blank pages, just started on page one. May 15th was the day that I started this particular journey, and I wrote the wisdom of God. That's one of the attributes of God. Uh, The next day, wisdom once again. Stayed on wisdom for a little while because uh, wisdom made it again on the May 17th and May 18th. So a lot of wisdom going on. But then as you begin to just go through the pages, God's greatness, that God is exalted, that God is established, that God is the creator, and that he is eternal, like we talked about last week, Uh, that he has patience, one of his attributes, his holiness, his holiness again, Uh, just coming down, his goodness, his goodness again, that he's reigning, we talked about that sovereign, he's beautiful, just day after day, looking at an attribute of God, you're like, well, where would I start? You can start anywhere you wanna start. Pick a psalm or a passage of scripture and as you're reading that psalm or reading that passage look for an attribute when you find the attribute circle the attribute go to your journal your 30-day journey write today the attribute is worthy here we were on friday june the 8th worthy i just was thinking about the text about who he was writing out my thoughts to him always would end up with a prayer father your worth is and then there goes the prayer And then somewhere along the way i made a little marker here Uh, somewhere along the way i'd worked up a pretty solid list i don't know if you can get tight on this or not but i'd worked up a pretty decent list of the attributes of god that i was beginning to focus on and understand about 150 attributes of god so if somebody said tell me about god what do you love about god I, i wouldn't go well i love that he's gracious and i love that he's kind and I love that he's love I would just think wow uh, that he's light he's majestic the maker the mender the master merciful meticulous that he's noble omnipotent omnipresent omniscient he's the protector patient provider powerful he is peace he's the prince of peace he's the preserver he's personal he's our promise he is pure And so when you work work down a list like this you begin to understand that there are all these different attributes of God and if you'll take them day by day and maybe you'll have an attribute that you're like I'm going to stay on this attribute tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day that's great but take the journey for yourself. And, and just mine the Word of God, and as you do, you'll see the attributes just rising up left and right. Focus on one, meditate on it, dig into the text a little bit, journal your thoughts about how that impacts your life, and then respond in worship to God with a prayer, or a song, or your own psalm, responding to Him, saying, God, this is my response to that attribute of who you are. And if you'll take that 30-day journey, to knowing God, I believe something powerful will happen in your life. I brought also today, just so that you could see, same time frame, 1984 started that particular journey, 1982 was reading this book, we borrowed the title for this series from it, The God You Can Know, 1984, uh, 85, while I'm journaling in this book all these attributes, I'm diving into A.W. Tozer, The Knowledge of the Holy where he just takes bite-sized chunks of a lot of the attributes of God and talks about them in a way that stretched my mind and still stretches my mind to this day. So this is where you start. You start in the Word of God, but you got to work your way out on your own journey, and you have that opportunity. So every one of us has the opportunity to go as high on the mountain as we want to go, there'll, there'll be no place where there's a sign that says only the pastors can go beyond this point. Over, only the seminary educated can go beyond this point. Only those who understand Hebrew and Greek can go beyond this point. All of us are invited on the mountain, and you do that by discovering it and meditating on the attributes of God. And we're going to look at two attributes to get together today. And we're going to look at two attributes together today. That is the wrath of God and the mercy of God. Oh, you're thinking, oh man, this might have been the one I wasn't, wasn't going to come to. The, the wrath of God, for real, we're going to talk about that today? Yes, because we are going to see that God's wrath is a beautiful thing. And then we're going to put right next to it this attribute, the mercy of God, because they live together in the story of the gospel. We see this actually in Habakkuk chapter three, this little prophecy in the Old Testament. And as we read Habakkuk three verse two, there's a beautiful prayer and a hope. And it's the same prayer and hope that we'd be praying over our lives today. And this is what it says. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds renew them in our day in our time make them known in wrath remember mercy in other words the prayer is a revival prayer. The prayer is, God, we wanna see you do what we've heard that you've done of old. We want you to move in our lifetime, in our generation. We want you to move in our city. We want you to move in our family. We want you to move now in the ways that we've heard about you moving of old. And as you do, here's the covering over our prayer. In your wrath, God, remember mercy. So we're not gonna do a deep dive into the Hebrew and a word study of it today, but I did a, a word study on this particular verse, Habakkuk 3.2. And side by side right in the Hebrew text are the words mercy and wrath. They're, they're often found side by side in the text and we'll see that throughout the message, but they're definitely side by side in the story of the gospel. And so let's talk about wrath for a moment. What is the wrath of God? Well, I think the wrath of God can be defined like this it is a settled and swelling indignation of God. It's the settled indignation of a holy God towards sin and all the consequences of sin. And it's a swelling indignation of a holy God towards sin and all the consequences of sin. It's, it's like a wave if you want to think about it in that picture. The earthquake was our sinful rebellion against God. The tsunami that resulted is the wrath of Almighty Holy God, and it is growing like a wave. It is swelling even now like a wave, and it is going to break and crash onto sin and obliterate and eradicate every shred of sin and the results of sin from the world for all time's sake. That's why you hear the phrase, the wrath of God is coming. It's settled already in the mind of God, but it's swelling like a wave and it's moving right now toward sinfulness in every place you find it in the world and you may be saying well I don't want a God of wrath I like some of the other attributes we talked about but I don't want a God who is a God of wrath and I beg to differ today I think that we do want a God of wrath because we want justice for every wrong for every abuse that's happened in our lives for every evil action that has crashed into our world, into our families, into our loved ones, and into our heart. We want justice. We want some answer to the sin that is in the world, and we want every cancerous cell that exists to meet up with the holy wrath of God. We want all violence on earth to meet up with justice in full. So we do want a God of wrath. We don't want to be the ones to meet out the wrath in the world. We don't want our anger just to tip and explode and we react to the wrong in the world and the wrong done to our lives. We want this settled and steady holy wrath of God, to come at the right time with the right justice for everyone as a consequence of sin. J.I. Packer says it this way. He says, God's wrath in the Bible is never the capricious, self-indulgent, irritable, morally ignoble thing that human anger so often is. It is instead a right and necessary reaction to objective moral evil. So it's not this quick reaction, this flying off the handle, this I'm gonna get even with you. It's the right and measured and just and adequate response of a holy, perfect, righteous God to the sinful choices and the rebellious hearts of men. And that wrath is growing like a wave. Oh, we get the consequences of our sinful choices immediately. We're living in the consequences of our sinful choices. But the full judgment of our sin, it's coming. And it's called the wrath of God. We see this in scripture in Ephesians chapter 2. And we could look all over the text today at both the wrath and the mercy of God. But we're going to hang out And just a few texts together and the first one is Ephesians chapter 2 beginning in verse 1 and we're gonna see as we mentioned before like Habakkuk wrath and mercy living side by side in the text but before we get to the good news of the gospel we always start with the bad news of our sin and this is how Paul describes it beginning in verse 1 he says as for you you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us. Can we just circle that? All of us. So we're not talking about some really good people and some really bad people or some more spiritual people and some less spiritual people. We're talking about people here. We're talking about humanity. Fallen humanity. All of us. This is who this text is about. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Now that's the world. That's a snapshot, if you will, of the world. People following the cravings of the sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. And here comes the consequence of that or the ultimate result of that. If you look through the telescope of God's wrath, it comes a little closer now What the reality is for all of us who are saying, hey, this is what I want. This is how I feel. This is what I want to do. This is what I want to get. This is the way I want to live my life. I'm just going to go after whatever I want to go after, whatever I think that's the way I'm going to go. And he says, great. Well, here comes the result of that kind of living. Like the rest, we were by nature objects. Of wrath. So by nature now, what nature? By our sinful nature, we're in the crosshairs of that settled and swelling wave of the wrath of a holy, righteous God that is going to eradicate sin. We are now in the path of the tsunami that's coming, created by the earthquake of our rebellion, and it is headed our Way. And you may say, well, uh, I can deal. Uh, I'll worry about that later. No, you don't want to worry about that later. This swelling tsunami that's coming is more powerful than anything we could describe or imagine. It is the holiness of God meeting up against the, f- the full dark side of of sinfulness and the collision of those two things is gonna be absolutely overwhelming. It's as if we uh, could look at it this way. We've, we have a life and uh, we, we were meant uh, for something amazing but we made bad choices, right? So we end up basically just being a, a cup of filth because of our sin and our sin nature. It's just a little, uh, little cup of sewage, if you will. As a result of sin. And if you think about it this way, based on this text, if God's wrath is a weight that none of us can fully comprehend or imagine, and it is swelling and settled, it is going to happen at some point, and we want it to. We want there to be an answer for all the wrong. We want everything to be put right. We want people to be held accountable. We want justice, and there's gonna be justice. But it's going to be justice, not just against the people we think deserve it. It's going to be the wrath of God coming against all sin in every life. And so there's a predicament in the moment. The wave is growing. And the time is coming. And I don't know when it is. And you don't know when it is. Jesus said he didn't even know when it was when he was on earth. It is a time that the Father has set. And in that moment, the wrath of God will fall. But thank God there's something also called mercy. And mercy only matters if the Holy Spirit has convicted us of sin. Mercy only matters when we see with eyes wide open how our rebellion has wrecked into the purposes and the plans and the character of God. Paul goes on to describe it a little bit later in Ephesians chapter five like this. Let me grab my glasses again. This is what he says in verse one. He says, be imitators of God, therefore as dearly loved children and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Praise break in that moment right there. But then look how Paul works this out. You're born of God, loved by God, brand new in God, new creation in God, so you can grow up and imitate your heavenly father as a love son, love daughter of God. But let me work that out for you, Paul says, in a broken, sinful world. But among you, there must not be be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking which are out of place but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person for such man is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. So let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. So let's don't let anybody distract us from this attribute of God, this holy, righteous indignation of God, this part of God's character that is going to make heaven a possibility by obliterating all sin. The wrath of God is a reality and Paul's reminding us that it is coming. It's coming on the life of every person who says, I'm going to do it my way. I'll redefine what what I think is good and what I think is pure and what I think is true for my life. And what Paul is saying is, just be ready because there is a settled and swelling wrath of God that is coming your way. But then Paul wants us to know there's something else going on in the heart of God and it is his mercy. So in wrath, remember mercy. That's the prayer of Habakkuk. And I want to assure you that God will never forget mercy in his story towards you in your life. You're not going to have to jog his memory and say, oh, remember God, I know that wrath is coming, but, but can I remind you of the fact that you're also a merciful God? You'll never have to remind God of his mercy because mercy is not a mood in the heart of God. Mercy is an attribute of our God. Mercy is always in the story of God. And how would we define mercy? We define it as we dig in it and do our hard work of studying underneath the languages that it really is compassion. It's a heart of kindness and compassion moving toward you and moving toward me. Not a new idea, by the way. Always. An idea in the mind of God. I want to take us all the way back because it's going to be important to connect the Old Testament of God to the New Testament of God in this idea of mercy. I want to take us all the way back to Exodus chapter 20. And God is now giving the instructions for building the Ark of the Covenant. And He describes how this is to be done. At the beginning of this particular section, actually, it's not uh, Exodus chapter 20, it's Exodus chapter 25, and we're going to be beginning with verse 10. It says, Have them make a chest of acacia wood, two and a half cubits long. And he describes how they're going to do this, how they're going to make it. It's going to be covered with gold, how they're going to be rings and poles. And then verse 16, he says, Then put in the ark the testimony which I will give you. And we know part of the testimony, capital T-E-S in this particular phrase is gonna be the 10 commandments. The tablets of the law are gonna go in this Ark of the Covenant. We'll have other things in there in time as well, but primarily the, the testimony of God. The 10 things, the simple 10 things that God is saying to you, don't kill your neighbor, don't covet what they have, Don't steal, don't build an idol, don't take my name in vain. Ten simple things he's saying to the people, he says, you're going to put that inside this ark. And then notice what he says in verse 17, make an atonement cover. Now that's an important phrase, an atonement cover. So there's going to be a lid that's going to rest on the top of this ark, on the top of this box, but he, he calls it an atonement cover. And then he describes it, make it out of pure gold, two and a half cubits long and a cubit and a half wide. And then he says, and make two cherubim out of hammered gold at the ends of the cover. Make one cherubim on one end and the second cherubim on the other end and make the cherubim of one piece with the cover at the two ends. The cherubim are to have their wings spread upward overshadowing The cover with them. The cherubim are to face each other, looking toward the cover, and place the cover on top of the ark, and put in the ark the testimony which I will give you. Therefore, above the cover, between the two cherubim that are over the ark and over the testimony, I will meet with you and give you all my commands for the Israelites. So a a little photo of this, I think uh, we can put up on the screen and you can see it there. This is obviously not the Ark of the Covenant. Um, I don't think Indiana Jones has found that for us yet, but it's a picture of the Ark, the rings and the poles, but you can see the lid on top with the two cherubim, their wings covering it. That's the atonement cover. And the way atonement cover is brought down to you and me is by a term you may have heard before. It's called the mercy seat. So the lid, the atonement cover, translates into the mercy seat. So even in the beginning, we see a picture of the gospel. The testimony is gonna go in the ark. 10 things that you can't do. They're not gonna bring life to you, they're actually gonna end up bringing death to you because the law is gonna bring you to the point of being guilty before Almighty God. Everyone's gonna go, I couldn't do the 10 things. I could not even do the 10 things. Sin has got a hold on me, it's corrupted me, and therefore, I'm now judged by the law and condemned by the law because the wages of sin is death the scripture tells us but even in that moment God said we're going to put a cover on the top and the cover over the law that's going to bring death to the people is going to be called the atonement cover It's going to be called the mercy seat, and there will be those cherubim. The holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. They and their wings will cover this place that represents mercy. And this now will be in the holy of holies so that on the day of atonement, The high priest can go in, he will sprinkle blood on the atonement cover, blood on the mercy seat, and that's the place where the Almighty God will meet with men. Not through the law, which brings death, but through mercy, which brings life. And we see this everywhere in the story of God. Back to Ephesians chapter 2. We already looked at the bad news of sin in verses one through three, but the story changes quickly in verse four. So we all know we're objects of the wrath of God. That's where we are because of our sin, but that's not the end of the story of the gospel and the work that that God is doing in your life and in my life. So read on with me in verse four. But because of his Great love for us. So do you see where wrath ends? Love enters the story. Objects of wrath. But that's not the end of the story. Huge conjunction. Huge moment in the story. Score changes in the background. But because God is a God of love, there's more to the story than just His wrath. We want His wrath but we can't stand his wrath, so we need something else to be in the story. But because of his great love for us, God, how are we gonna define God? How do we know God? What attribute are we gonna put in the equation now? This one, God who is rich in, say it with me, rich in mercy. So how does the story change from wrath It changes because of mercy. It changes because God isn't willing to just fold his arms and say, you blew it. He's not willing to just back up and say, well, get ready, because there is a settled and swelling wave coming your way. Good luck with that. He doesn't just sound a little quick tsunami alert and say, well, good luck. I'd pack your lawn chair up or your beach chair or whatever you're doing, put the picnic away, and I'd get ready. No. Compassion is in the heart of God not a mood an attribute and mercy is moving your way right now praise God can we just do a little praise break even right in this moment praise God that he is rich in mercy. He is not a penny pincher in mercy. He is not below the poverty line on mercy. He's not like having to search in his pockets or underneath the cushions in the sofa for a little bit of mercy. He, he's the Warren Buffett of mercy times a trillion, times a trillion, times a trillion. He is rich In mercy, he has got an unending amount of compassion and kindness in his account. Therefore, the story is about to radically and forever change for you and for me. This God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And that's not all he did. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness. There's the word again. In his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Of God not by works so that no man can boast for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do it is a divine exchange of extraordinary proportion it is God saying I have a son he is perfect in every way He is spotless and blameless. He's tempted in every way, the scripture says, yet without sin, holy, righteous, pure, radiant, filled with God, God of God, light of light, the Son of God. And what I wanna do is I wanna exchange His righteousness for your sinfulness. I I want to make a transaction in heaven whereby you will be credited for who he is and what he has done and he will be credited for who you are and what you have done the way that paul writes it in second corinthians five twenty one is this god made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Look at another way Paul writes this in Romans chapter 3. A heartbeat of the gospel. And he's describing what we all know, which is that we are hopeless, but he's also describing an indescribable mercy of God. Beginning in verse 21, chapter 3 of Romans. But now, can we just say that again today? But now... So yes, there's a settled and sustaining and swelling wave of the wrath of God and it is coming our way. But now, but now, right now, something has changed. Right now, something is new. Right now, there's a whole different possibility on the table and this is what it is. But now, a righteousness from God apart from the law, apart from what's in the Ark of the Covenant, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. So this righteousness doesn't come by checking off the 10 Commandments because we can't do that. This righteousness comes by faith in Jesus who never broke the Ten Commandments in the first place and went to the cross an innocent man before God made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf. So a new way of righteousness has arrived. It's not I'm better than or worse than or I did a few good things and now I've done a few bad things or I'm trying to keep score so that I know at the end of the day the scale is going to tip in my favor no it's a new righteousness on the scene a brand new way to be brand new is in the story and he's describing that for us this new righteousness is a righteousness that comes by faith we saw that in Ephesians chapter 2 so we're raised up and we're made alive because of the mercy of God how by our faith in Jesus He goes on to describe, he said there is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, comma. We've talked about that comma a lot. We won't drill down into the punctuation today, but praise God for that comma. If we want to have this whole message last about three hours, we could take another praise break right here over the comma that is at the end of verse 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, not a period not end of your story, not end of sentence, no, a comma. God's got something else to say. So yes, we've all sinned, and yes, we've all come short of the glory of God, but here comes another massive conjunction. We are justified freely. So yes, we failed, but there's an and as the story moves forward. And are justified freely, by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Now, watch this next verse really carefully. Verse 25. God presented Jesus as a sacrifice of what? Of atonement through faith in His blood. In other words, all the way back at the ark, all the way back at the temple, all the way into eternity past God said you're gonna rebel I know your sin is gonna bring death into your life I know this but I'm a God of mercy moved by compassion and so I'm gonna enter the story I'm gonna send my son into the story he's gonna live a perfect life he's not gonna break the law he's not gonna rebel and do his own thing he's gonna be tempted like you but he's gonna be without Sin. Why? So that what the law has done, which has declared you guilty, the covering now, the mercy seat, is going to be the place where I'm ultimately going to meet with you. Not back in the old days in a holy of holies. No. In these days, through the person of Jesus Christ and through your faith in Him, I'm going to meet you on the atonement covering. I'm going to meet you at the mercy seat. Not a high priest going in once a day, one time on the Day of Atonement once a year. No, Jesus going uh, into the Holy of Holies, putting his blood uh, on uh, the atonement, covering his blood uh, and himself becoming the mercy seat so that between the holy, 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 I can come uh, and not only meet with you, I can come and forgive you and give you life and breath and raise you up to brand new life, to new birth, sons and daughters of a heavenly king uh, alive now. Because of the mercy of God, covered by Jesus' blood. The rest, the settled, swelling holiness and righteousness and justice of God is coming. Praise God when it arrives we will be covered by the blood of Jesus. How? By faith in him. We will be covered by the blood of Jesus. This is the new righteousness. It is Christ covering you and Christ covering me. We want a God of wrath because we want sin to be dealt with to the full. But praise God, he's a God of mercy who has come in Christ to cover us with his blood. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And what happened on that cross It stretches the mind, and it blows up the heart. Please don't be deceived, a wave, a settled wave is coming. And when it comes, I want to show you what it's going to look like. It's going to be pretty intense, intense enough that I'm going to need these. But I want you just to get a picture in your mind of that coming wave of God. And I want you even to help me count it down. So let's just count down, even though we don't know the day. 10, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, Three, two, one. And this is Calvary. Not just a story, but a collision. The righteous judge, justly destroying sin and its power, once he had transferred what was ours onto the life of his son Jesus. And at the cross, it is finished, and mercy has triumphed. And this is the offer today. As we sit on the bench and ponder, as we take another step up the mountain of God, as we get a little larger plate and put a bigger serving on today, we see our God is the God who's going to bring justice to the world. It's going to be a terrifying moment and a terrifying day. But in that moment, we will already be covered. We'll already be under the mercy seat and in the mercy seat and the mercy seat will be in us if you were encouraged by today's talk be sure to rate us and hit subscribe spotify itunes or wherever you stream your podcasts to experience other talks videos and live gatherings visit us online at passioncitychurch.com or download the passion movement app and again Thanks for listening to the Passion City Church podcast.